0: Um, you know the run run jumps and galloping um for you know all of our jumpers different bounding complexes but we're definitely always trying to incorporate like every week i try to do something in the frontal plane uh that's ankle based uh something that is uh more hip based uh and then the rotational component will do things like those that the curvilinear runs um my high jumpers are always and even the uh long and triple they'll do, uh, plyos like on a curve. Uh, so, you know, the run, run jumps, uh, on a curve, um, or on a circle, something like that. Uh, um, so those are all things that I think we're, we're just incorporating regularly. Uh, and I think it just, I think if you, if you just focus on the sagittal plane, uh, I almost view it from a standpoint like if we just focus there like that, that just, that's okay but if we can incorporate the transverse and the frontal plane as well uh, I think it just creates a more stable
1: athlete ultimately. That was Homewood Flossmore track and field coach Rob Assisi talking about his approach to plyometrics and including the frontal and transverse planes in creating a more robust jumping athlete. You're listening to the Just Fly performance podcast. <laughs> Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 95 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and today we have Homewood Flossmore, track and field coach Rob Assisi. Uh, Rob has been a prolific writer as of late through the last year. He's written 10 uh, low-hanging fruits to grab for optimal performance on Just Fly Sports. Uh, Rob has also been a speaker for one of the meccas of track and field training, uh, and certainly one when it comes to multi-sport, overall athletic uh, training for high school athletes and beyond, which is the Track Football Consortium. Uh, Rob is a guy whose progressive workouts have netted him great success, as Homewood Flossmoor has been a force on the state track and field level in Illinois, and his athletes do very well. And like Tony Holler, Rob has gone from a more volume-oriented approach that he uh, trained under himself, uh, typically the way that we eventually or the way that we often start coaching is how we were trained. And he's taken a more progressive, low-volume approach that really engages the multidisciplinary nature of the field so using neurology motor learning ideas and just trying to create a better system better mousetrap and uh, one that athletes will enjoy and continue to set prs with and so to me uh, it's both uh, rob's knowledge and creativity that makes him someone that i love to sit down and talk training with one of the biggest game changers for me that rob mentioned uh in i don't remember what article i saw this in but i saw it and i was like whoa, that connects some dots, is just the idea of having um, uh, track and field jumpers doing curvilinear sprints, so almost like the stuff you see football players doing sometimes when they're doing their trainings. And uh, for me, I've always just been so big on the effect that team sports have, specifically like basketball or football, or even something like soccer, something where that's multidirectional and gets the frontal and transverse planes really on demand, and the effect that has on a track athlete. And if you're a track athlete, only doing sagittal plane stuff all the time, that that is really self-limiting. I mean, I ran into that trap myself multiple times the farther I got away from uh, like playing high school basketball or even doing those intramural sports you're not supposed to do when you're on a college track team but you occasionally do them anyways. Uh, I've just always felt like sports have had so much to offer. So when I see coaches utilizing some of these ideas that I, I see pieces of a team sport in, I always want to talk to him about it. So uh, that's just really the tip of the iceberg. Rob has a lot of other cool stuff that he's doing. You heard a little bit about his plyometric utilization there in that opening clip. Uh, he also is doing some work on the constraints based or with the constraints based theory and motor learning and applying it to jumps. And it's a little bit towards the back of the episode, but I think that stuff is a game changer. Uh, it kind of goes on the back of uh, Ruzon's long jump study where if you Jump to a different target in the sand each jump rather than just going all out every single time. You actually will end up with a farther jump um, than someone who goes all out all the time. And Rob has taken that and taken it to the next level with his jumpers. There's a ton of cool things in here that you can go utilize right off the bat with your athletes. Uh, what Even if you're not a track and field coach just things that come from the world of track and field that can go be plugged right into any sports skill. And I think that's what it's all about and being able to balance athletes back and forth between sports and coaches being on the same page and feeding off of each other and, and just making athletes better. So today's podcast, we're gonna go into Rob's uh, background, training philosophy, his speed and plyometric methods, his weight room concepts, uh, and much more. So this episode is was just a really cool one for me. I love sitting down and talking shop with Rob So let's get on to episode 95 with Rob Assisi. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Well, hey, I I love sitting down and talking shop with track coaches and training speed and getting athletes faster and that whole process has always fascinated me so i'm looking forward to today's conversation for those of you people or for those of you out there for those of you people for those of you out there who might not know uh who rob is uh rob could you just get cool us in on your background quickly uh as an athlete and then what got you into coaching and what you're doing now
0: sure uh so uh growing up uh I was basically playing whatever was in season uh, and coupled with pickup games uh, with my friends just kind of doing whatever we could think of uh, in terms of organized sports I was primarily football basketball and baseball uh, carried that into high school and then uh, I decided I want to get faster. Uh, for football, so I joined the track team my junior year. Uh, really liked it, so I uh, did football and track uh, my uh, junior and senior seasons and uh, senior years, and then went to Milliken University, a uh, small school in Decatur, Illinois, Division III. Uh, played football there for a year and some change, and ended up doing track all four years. Uh, my primary events there were the Javelin high jump, 400 and triple jump. Uh, after I graduated there in 2003, uh, I, came to hf Uh, i've been teaching here now for 15 years uh during that time i've coached football uh, for five seasons uh cross country for six and then in terms of track i've done that every year uh three as a girl's assistant uh nine as the head girls coach and three as uh, in my current position now uh, working with jumps on the guy side
1: Oh, it's awesome, man! And, you know, I I don't know if I knew this or not about you that you we basically done the same events. I I think it was Nick Davis who had done, who was on episode seventy something. Uh, he hit UW lacrosse. He had done uh, javelin and high jump, and it's it's not super often I talk to other people that did that combination because those are my two uh, events. And then I did triple jump as well, but you were brave enough to run the 400. Whereas <laughs> I got put in the four by four one time as a freshman in college and never got put in it again. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I love it, man. It's like that, uh, that kind of tall rotational athlete, I guess of sorts. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And that was, I think what really attracted me to, to track was like, I get, I could run, jump and throw like in, in one day. And it was
1: just awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, I remember they had the, like my first experiences with track and field. It's like, I remember when I was like in fifth and sixth grade, I would always just try to jump and touch the lights in the hallway in the school. And then (laughs) all of a sudden I realized, whoa, there's this sport that's like that. Like you get, you win if you do that the best, basically, you know, you jump the farthest. And we had like the softball throw and I I love that stuff. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, so talking about your training program, well, talk about a little bit about too, about, um, your training and coaching how it's evolved over the years i know your high school teams have had a lot of success so how is how are things now compared to when you started who have some mentors that have helped you along the way
0: sure uh so i think when i first started like many coaches i just coached the way i was coached and did programming uh, that was similar to what i went through so the big rock there was like volume it was based around volume and our girls uh on the track side had a lot of success with that um i think my second year uh we had some individuals that were state runner-ups we won our the four by four uh we were runners up in the four by one uh so what that did for me as a young coach was it kind of perpetuated Belief in a system that was probably pretty faulty uh, amongst the entire uh, clientele, and uh, like I said, probably the first four years we were doing pretty well. But then I started to kind of notice some things uh, where, like, I really had to sell like workouts to to uh, athletes I mean I think it takes a special type of athlete to want to run like a 500 400 300 400 300 200 you know especially at the high school level so I mean I, I could do like my best sales pitch like in terms of like this is why you need to do this but probably only half of the athletes would be like really engaged Um, so I was always looking for a way to get like everybody completely engaged, uh, and just improve that intent. Uh, and then we were also going through health issues. And again, as a young coach, I was like, oh, well, you know, they're probably, we're having issues with shins, shin splints and such. And I was like, yeah, they're just not doing what they need to do outside of track, uh, with icing and doing prehab type exercises. Uh, but you know, finally I just started looking in the mirror and I was like, maybe it's because I'm having them do. like that on an indoor 160 meter track Mm -hmm. Uh, so as time went on I think I I just started to decrease the volume the byproduct of that was uh, we started increasing the intensity and what we noticed was people were enjoying workouts more uh, the intent was better and we were dealing with less injuries Uh, and one quote that I often refer to is uh, by Vince Anderson where I think he said something along the lines of once you free yourself of volume concerns, the picture becomes much clearer. Uh, and that definitely uh, is something that I, I've continued to keep in mind uh, in terms of designing programming. Um, probably like, I think maybe four years into that uh, process of decreasing the volume, uh, that's when uh, I started seeing Chris Corfus speak and reading Tony Holler's stuff. So they definitely had a big influence. And that kind of uh, impacted me just knowing like how little you could do uh, but still have success uh, with athletes. So, uh, they've definitely been a big influence on me. Um, another thing that I think has, uh, changed uh, the way I coach is just individualization, uh, trying to, uh, target specific, uh, uh, programming for, uh, athletes, uh, based on their needs. Uh, I remember I had an athlete, uh, this is probably maybe seven, eight years ago, and we had like, a, one of our standard workouts, uh, towards the end of the year was, uh, Two by 300, all out, full recovery in between. And I remember like her sophomore and junior year, uh, she ran like 48 seconds and 52 seconds. She just hated (laughs) like running anything over 200 meters. Uh, She was definitely like a a, a 1A type. So she just like hated anything uh, super long. Uh, So her senior year, I, I walked up to her and I said, Hey, how about we break it up and we'll do. Uh, 150 then you'll rest 90 seconds we'll do another 150 then you'll have a full recovery and repeat it and her numbers were like ridiculous it was like 20 21 and I think 21 22 and uh, I was just I you know amazed that it, it took me that long to think of something like that you know like and the adaptation I'm sure that she had was much better and, uh, from that uh, as opposed to just kind of slogging through two, 300 so I think I'm always looking for ways to try to find specifics that meet the needs of an individual
1: yeah, I love it. I, I think, um, yeah, and that neurotyping, I think, as it works its way into track and field is really going to change a lot of things. I, I, I like, actually, that you mentioned because a lot of people don't mention this, especially people, I think, who, I mean, maybe people who have done high volume in the past and gone to low is there are kids that do get fast on the high volume workouts. Like, it's not like everybody who does that type of thing within some sort of reason, you know, is always slow and always, you know, is, is completely terrible because – if that was the case, I think that more people would switch over. But I think the fact that you mentioned that it can work occasionally for some people it can help the process of meeting people halfway who are still like really hung up on on that the need for that, if that makes sense. <clears throat> uh, so I, I mean, I think it's good that you that you mentioned that, but obviously, the, the it has so many drawbacks and it also leaves so many kids like those like you mentioned like the kid who's the type 1a out to dry <laughs> and mm-hmm. and it makes yeah the engagement factor too i think that's not necessarily talked about a lot Is if kids are having fun and enjoying what they're doing that's so much even that's so much better than even an ideal in many cases like all oh, this workout work for these this group and they did this and and so we're gonna mm-hmm. do that too and and yeah i, I think that's really powerful stuff
0: yeah, I mean ultimately I just don't want to miss anyone, right? I want to make sure that uh we maximize what everyone is able to do.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh yeah, the individual, the individual aspect. To me that's almost the most fun too. Like as a coach, like I couldn't imagine running the same program for a whole group and somehow thinking that it was going to be that good for every single athlete. That every single athlete in my group with my world's greatest training program I do that maybe my coaches did or I did is going to also therefore be the world's greatest training program for every individual. So, uh, no, that's that's part of the fun. That fun part of the puzzle. Uh, Rob, you had you had mentioned a little bit of it with just how you adapted that workout for that girl who had a hard time after that first 300. I remember too, back coaching at Wilmington College, I would have uh, we would run workouts where it was like we w- would maybe run like one 500 and then a 350 for the 400 runners, or we do. Uh, two three hundred something like that, and or two threes for the two one two guys, and I do remember I would have that occasional athlete. I remember one very distinctly after the first three hundred, it was just over. There's nothing else in that <laughs> workout that was good, <laughs> and so in hindsight, I'm like maybe I just done one three. But then you were saying, uh, yeah, the one. Uh, the, t- the way you did the one fifties, I think was really cool. And I've seen work of yours in the past too, especially like your, the, the volume you do in peaking, like is so low. Uh, so could you go into some nuts and bolts? How does it manifest itself in some of the general workouts that you have your athletes do in the main portion of their training? And then maybe we'll get into peaking a little bit. Sure.
0: So our, uh, our season length is like 19 weeks and we kind of have, we break it up into three, uh, main phases where the focus is on acceleration and max velocity, then maintaining that max velocity. So into speed endurance. Um, and we are hitting all three of those every week for sure. Uh, but like in the the middle part of the season, uh, if we focus like in, on where max velocity is, uh, the, the primary, uh, training, uh, issue, uh, All we do is just increase the fly distance like that's that's basically it so maybe in the beginning part of the season uh, we're running fly tens and uh, the way that we uh, run our max velocity days is we have about 50 or 60 sprinters so we have a pretty large group and we break it up into three stations so there's 15 to 20 athletes uh in each station or within each group and they're grouped by uh, training age and ability So they'll rotate through three stations, one's uh, technique. So they're doing like max velocity uh, type uh, drill work. Um, And then uh, another group will be doing plyos and then the other group's doing uh, the fly runs. So uh, with the fly runs initially, they might be doing like three to four fly tens. And we get that in in, like 15 minutes and rotate. Uh, Once we get into kind of the meat of the season, uh, that might change to like fly 20s or fly 30s. So they're just increasing uh, the volume that way. Uh, so it's, uh, really pretty simple, uh, with what we do there. Uh, and it's, it's cool too, because we can also, since they're grouped by training age, we can kind of vary it, uh, cause they'll just rotate through. Uh, so like if I have the, the youngest group, the plyos that they're doing, are significantly different than what our more seasoned athletes are doing or in the fly group like maybe our upperclassmen are doing fly 30s but then the you know freshmen and freshmen and sophomores are doing still st- stuck on fly tens uh so it just kind of we we sort of base that on what we're seeing and uh you know what uh, each group needs so that's been uh a good way for us to handle that uh as we get into peaking uh i think the big thing that we do is, like, it's just what makes you feel awesome, you know? Um, like, that's what our focus is. So I think there's definitely something uh, to what you're doing physically during that time uh, to get uh, as much adaptation as possible, but like I think it's just most important at that time of the season to get the mind right. I think that's the most powerful thing, so get them feeling good and get them ready to go. Uh, and the other thing with peaking that we do within the weight room is kind of a lot of calde stuff where we're timing sets just to get uh, you know, a, a little bit higher engagement uh, with uh, pretty low loads, and we also do the
1: oscillatory stuff. So, you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, yeah, I love that oscillatory stuff. It's uh, it's <laughs> it's all um, I think underappreciated by a lot of uh, strength and conditioning coaches and, and even track and field. I like um, I like the idea of of how you run that with that fly ten day, like because sixty kids uh, uh, take them through uh it's i'm assuming a free lap timing system yeah
0: we have uh i think 16 or 18 chips
1: yep. yeah even with that 60 is a lot so i i, I like how you've been creating i mean no matter what you would be waiting like i don't know like eight minutes nine minutes <laughs> for your uh next run um and just to to be able to get a lot of other skills and i i like that. i think that's really cool too in the sense of um, kids maybe can get a different effect too if they do some days maybe they do the tens first and they do plyos second and do drills third and then the other day maybe you did plyos before the sprints and it you found a little bit of a potentiation or something or doing the sprint dr- the drill work before uh it, it having different uh different almost stimuli i think that's a really cool i think that's well i think it's a really cool concept just bar none but i also think that there's so many cool little nuances that can make it a little different experience every time
0: yeah, and we've rotated that like where our top group will do the the flies first, and then sometimes they'll do the plyos first. So uh, I haven't figured out like what's best uh, for them, but um, yeah, there, I think there's definitely something to that, and I think it probably gets to, down more to the individual. Like it's not going to be across the group, but it's definitely something that uh, we've been doing that now for like two years. Uh, so it's something we'll kind of keep an eye on as we uh, continue to progress through it.
1: Yeah, I I think what you said too about the peaking process and. The athlete psychology is just so massive. I mean, every some athletes more than others, but a lot of athletes have their own intuition and what they need to be doing to run their fastest. I've I've seen track coaches and uh, you know swim coaches I work with who at the peaking process will have a menu system where it's like or just or even just what do you want to do? I've had seen track coaches where it's just what do you want to do today? Like today, here's here's kind of what the workout's supposed to be. What do you want to do? <laughs> and then the athlete gets to pick and a lot of times it's just what they it's what they think they need and i was a huge i remember i was a huge pain in the ass when i was a college track athlete and i remember just doing a lot of my own stuff anyways <laughs> and and i mean i yeah, i was not the i was not the um the pinnacle of somebody who anyone would want to coach at all uh but i i do remember always peaking pretty well and i think i i think a lot of it was because i really believe you know i'm picking a lot of what i'm doing here or at least saying hey coach i really want to do this or whatever and Uh, sometimes he would give me suggestions I'd be like oh yeah okay I'll do but regardless of whatever it was I believed in it Um, and so yeah I just remember that being a really important part of the process for me Mm
0: -hmm. yeah we uh, encourage our athletes uh, to fill out like weekly reflection reflection logs uh, and then they have a record of like you know this workout I did this workout and then you know this week I I performed really well and they, they keep track of things like sleep and and, and all those uh, other factors, but uh, it just gives them something too to that they can look back at and say like, hey, this this workout really, uh, you know, manifested into something great uh, later that week. So maybe they would want to do that again. And again, you know, it doesn't matter uh, all that much uh, physiologically. I don't know. Uh, but um, just that idea of their mind being, uh, you know, having that belief that it's going to make a big difference, I think is is even more important.
1: Yeah, I like that the the reflection logs is an idea of deducing to what people um, respond optimally to. I mean, you know, you mentioned the neurotyping, and and I, it's definitely been fun for me to try to uh, to try to you know look you know figure out athletes' personalities and then look at their lifting and what do they prefer and try to figure that out. But even so, there's always there's a, at least for me in, in my my uh, youngness in it. There's always a few athletes that I'm still like, huh, what? What is the best? Like, I don't, I, I think you might be this type, maybe that type. What you really respond the best to. And yeah, that log idea of just like, I, I did these workouts this week. I felt really good or I felt really great when this was the type of paradigm. I think that's a really good idea in, in helping to make more informed decisions about the peaking process later. Cause it probably starts with, and I do believe it starts, that process starts with what athletes are responding the best to earlier in the year. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, uh, actually, too, I before we get on to the next question, I did want to ask you a little bit, because I, I have seen, in, in terms of what you typically do with volume through that peaking process, and I've seen things like this in, in being in the swim world for the last few years, is just dr- drastic reductions in volume. Um, I've heard so many stories in track and field, and even I've heard them in the swim world, about like people who went to the state championships, the national championships, they did okay, then they rested they didn't do anything for two weeks and did some, you know, random competition and set a PR. Uh, and, and, you know, those stories always tell us something, I, I think. And But I've seen your workouts, your ideas around peaking time are usually like pretty low volume. I, could you just give us a few examples of some of the things that you tend to do around those championship periods?
0: Sure. Uh, so our uh, conference sectional uh, meets are on Thursdays, um, and then our state meet is uh, Friday, Saturday so like if we look at the state meet um our athletes have prom that preceding saturday um, and so then that coming back on that following monday um, you know a lot of them at senior ditch day and whatever so in the past we've had times where we're just like you know we're not having practice on monday uh, we just don't even fight that battle uh, we figure they're, they're coming off prom or they're not getting great sleep anyway so hey you know just we'll come back we'll get after it on tuesday uh so that tuesday would be more of like a, a, a neural kind of day where we're doing explosive stuff um so with um like my jumpers in particular if it's a horizontal jumper uh, we'll probably do uh some approach work maybe some fly runs and you know and again if if they feel that they need you know what what type of plyo they need to to feel good and you know when i'm talking like the fly runs it might be like you know two fly tens Uh, it depends again if they're also like involved in like we have i have a jumper that also is a 400 runner so he might do something a little different but if it's just a pure jumper you know they might do like one fly ten and then a couple approaches and if they're feeling good then then we're good and then we'll hit some plyos and and call it a day um and and that's it uh the wednesday uh, that they come back it might be more short approach just technical work so if, if it's just a long jumper, uh, he might take like, you know, some eight step approaches uh, and, you know, do anywhere from like four to six jumps. And and that's it. Uh, and then we travel down uh, to the state meet on Thursday. They do. They'll just do a little bit of approach work uh, on the actual state track, uh, you know, two, three approaches once they're feeling comfortable, call it a day. And then we get after it on Friday. And that's kind of it. Uh, during one of the days too, which would probably be, I guess, that that Tuesday, uh, we would probably uh, do something in the weight room as well, uh, with the, you know either oscillatory stuff or uh, time rep kind of stuff. Um, but other than that, it's you know pretty much fifty minutes and and we're done.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That I yeah. Ever since I heard uh, Tony Holler talk about that, the idea of a forty-minute track practice or something like that, I. You almost think about Parkinson's law, or just like efficiency. Sometimes, like, or if, I think Tim Ferriss had a similar question. Like, if you, shoot, I'm gonna completely butcher. So I'm not even gonna try. But anyways, it's like if you, the idea of what if you only had 20 minutes for practice, what would you do? Like, uh, and, mm-hmm. and then working your way up from there. Um, right. But I, I really like those ideas on peaking. That's it's good stuff, Rob. Uh, so uh, maybe backing up from peaking to what would like a complete year. Uh, our yearly training model. Uh, one thing I think is interesting about high school. I've never, I've never coached on the high school level, so I always like asking these questions because I, from the outside, can only speculate. Sometimes I, I, I like speculating, but uh, just like the ideas of you know the typical high school athlete is and should be playing multiple sports and. And I think that and obviously if they want to have a better long term career, they certainly should be. Uh, but what's like what's the perfect world? Like if for what, what do you think in your uh, in your perfect scenario, what would be like, you know, an athlete does football and then, you know, does a particular set of workouts in the winter and then through track or basketball, a basketball player doing track. Um, what's what's kind of a good um, paradigm for those sports working together?
0: Yeah. Uh, it- I think ideally I want them to play as much as possible. Uh, So if we have kind of all different cases where we have some kids that are just track athletes, uh, we encourage them to do something in the fall. and then we have some kids who play football and run on our track team, and I think those fit together really well. Uh, and then we have a, a few kids who play basketball. Um, some do all three, and you know we may we have to make adaptations to to all three. Uh, you know it's it's a little bit different uh, in terms of the training once those basketball players come in. A, a few. Uh, weeks into our season, Uh, but we make those adjustments and, you know, they they have such a good uh, base of just general explosive activity with the very type of plyometrics that they're getting that, you know, they can kind of jump in and and be pretty bouncy right away. Um, So I, I, like I said, I think, you know, ultimately we just want uh, I want kids to get the most out of their high school experience. Um, it's their high school experience. Uh, as coaches, it's our job to um, make sure that we're there to foster whatever they feel they need uh, to get out of it and you know, not, be, not feel the need to control what their high school experience is.
1: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I know with basketball, too, like you mentioned, those kids jumping right in and having kind of that diversified plyo experience. I remember multiple times coaching in division three uh it was the guy that won it uh, he was from um he was from up from heidelberg in northern ohio i'm pretty sure he rolled right off the basketball court in you know late february early march maybe he probably had a couple practices he won the national meet at, with seven feet or so this is like the year after i had left i think i always just checked up and then I'm pretty sure he continued to decline the whole outdoor season and never jumped quite as well. And I, I'm always like, basketball has so many qualities, man. That are the more I've the more I've been in this, the more I realize how many good qualities that that sport has. And I think obviously the better track coach you are, those athletes don't don't decline. They they go up during the mm. year. But uh, it's always interesting to see those stories.
0: Yeah, and that that idea uh i have seen that trend happen m- multiple times so that's really uh caused me to be more varied in in the plyos that we're doing uh which has uh been probably something that i've changed up uh specifically since i've uh, become a jump coach it's like try to try to uh you know give our athletes different stimuli uh that maybe aren't super specific uh to the event uh, and just kind of get away from just focusing in on the uh, the plyos that are more directly related to their event just can't kind of keep them guessing
1: yeah I, yeah absolutely i like that you mentioned that i mean, even me myself uh and you occasionally even see it with the sensationalism of instagram and those things you occasionally see as athletes who are amazing at plyometrics and then you see them doing the actual event like high jump and they're okay but they're not awesome you know like and uh i i almost got caught in that vein of, you know leaving basketball just focusing so hard on plyometrics at some points and then finding that i was like wow you know I'm better at these hurdle hops, but for some reason, my max, you know, jump off one leg really isn't any better. Like, um, <clears throat> I like one, one thing you, that you do that I've seen you, uh, do for your jumpers that I, I think is really cool. is like those curvilinear max speed, uh, sprints. And mm-hmm. I, I think there's so many benefits. to it's like the idea, like with team sport too, it's like we, we, we leave this rotational universe and and transverse and frontal plane universe and then it's all of a sudden it's all these sagittal plane only cues in so many cases and sagittal plane only movements that was something that you i saw you post i was like oh that's it right there that's an awesome that's an awesome piece um mm-hmm. what's uh so you had mentioned you you mix up your plyos a little bit any um can you talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of some of the things you're putting together and mixing up
0: uh sure uh so like we have our, our go-tos, um, you know, the run, run jumps and galloping, um, for, you know, all of our jumpers, different bounding complexes, but we're definitely always trying to incorporate, like every week I try to do something in the frontal plane, uh, that's ankle based, uh, something that is, uh, more hip based, uh, and then the rotational component will do things like those, that the curvilinear runs, um, my high jumpers are always, and even the, uh, long and triple they'll do uh plyos like on a curve uh so you know the run run jumps uh on a curve um or on a circle something like that Uh, um so those are all things that i think we're we're just incorporating regularly uh and i think it just i think if you if you just focus on the sagittal plane. I almost view it from a standpoint, like if we just focus there, like that's, that that's okay. But if we can incorporate the transverse and the frontal plane as well, uh, I think it just creates a more stable athlete ultimately.
1: Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I, I, man, the, yeah, they're doing plows on the curve. I, I feel like there's so many possibilities there that you have my wheels turning now. I love that you mentioned the frontal plane ankle work. You know, you saw that like Russian and Polish stuff where they're doing the slant boards and, and I've realized over the years, talking with Darien Barr too, especially, like, just how important a lot of that stuff is. Um, just the, the ability to be strong and powerful through that, that frontal plane ankle motion. So, I'm glad you brought that up. That's something that'll stick with me as long as I'm coaching jumpers. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, all right. So, uh, moving forward, talking about strength training, you already mentioned uh, time sets and, and oscillating movements. Um, so, is there any other... Uh, Oh, actually. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So uh, you talked about the tie movements. Is there any other or, or particular forms of those lifts that you tend to like the most? Uh, do you start the year double-legging and, and go to single? Uh, or I think that's kind of a Caldeeds thing. Or is there a different progression that you do? Um, how do you tend to approach your progression through strength in the air?
0: Yeah. Uh, so uh, for our uh, upperclassmen, uh, we... We're, we lift two days a week, and uh, we have a mix. Uh, so we're doing like a, a double. We have like a double uh, bilateral day and then a unilateral day. Um, so that's uh, kind of uh, how we roll with that. Um, I think there's with any lift, there's there's positives and negatives. So uh, we're just we just try to stay balanced with that. And I think as a high school coach, it's probably important for us to uh, make sure that they know how to moving on beyond high school that they know how to do just the, the standard lifts, you know, your squat, your RDL, uh, both single double leg, um, you know, rear foot elevated split squat, uh, you know, we do, um, each week. So, so I think it's just important for them to, to be able to be exposed to those in, uh, that way, wherever they go, uh, from, from this point forward, they, they are able to, to do the lift effectively and are able
1: to move well. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, so in terms of, uh, any sort of, I guess you call it, uh, I, I used Joseph Johnson or Michael, maybe, I don't know, Michael, Yesis' special strength of, uh, in the sense of something that's, uh, really close to the event, but it's, uh, it's just a slightly different derivative. Um, so <clears throat> or in that vein, are you like re- resisted or overspeed, uh, type sure. training? Are you doing any of that type of any sprint derivative that you feel has good value to your program?
0: Uh, yeah, we, we do resisted sprinting, um, uh, quite a bit. And uh, one thing that, I, I, well, I, I just bought an extra genie, so I've been using that uh, quite a bit. And uh, we've, our athletes have, uh, you know, they definitely like that. Uh, I, I like doing uh, resistive work where, where the arms are free. That's the idea That would be the ideal. Uh, so we've used that. Uh, we've also used, I got this from Michael's Wifel, uh, like a figure eight rope descender, and you loop the rope through it. And, like, an athlete will stand with that attached to him, and then the rope just runs through it. It's basically what an exergenie is, but it's, you know, it costs, like, with with the harnesses, you know, maybe maybe 30 or 40 bucks, right? Um, so we've used that. Uh, and, again, they get in uh, really good positions uh, for acceleration. So that's pretty much why we use them is just to get them to feel what it's like to accelerate uh, properly, uh, getting, push and getting them to push down and back. Uh, we've also uh, – in the perfect world, we'd have like eight, 1080 sprints. Uh, but unfortunately that's uh, not in our budget. So we've, uh, done some assisted, uh, sprinting. Uh, we're probably going to, we did it for a block indoors and we'll do it again, uh, outdoors. Uh, but we've kind of rigged a system with some pulleys, uh, again, pretty, pretty cheap. Uh, and like we, I think we've seen some positive things, uh, with that. I really like the idea of the pre-tensioning that Chris Corfus talks about, uh, with the overspeed training, uh, i i think i I forget which podcast i heard it on uh what's this podcast but i I don't remember which episode i think it might have been with um i can't i can't think of it um but anyway it was uh just the idea of moving at top speed without trying to try like as hard as you can i think there's something to that i don't know what it is but uh i think there definitely is something to that and then i think ultimately like with the overspeed component it's just like you're reducing inhibition a little bit like you're sort of tricking the brain into like oh yeah like I can let go and, and go faster and you know not be that overprotective mother you know and, and just let the body uh, let loose
1: yeah yeah I think that was um yeah there was Cal Dietz I remember telling me about that like you go with the overspeed going um going 100% but you're only trying 95% it was either Hank Kreienhoff or Hakan Anderson and maybe one or both mm-hmm. um it was mm-hmm. their their thing and, and I, I you know it's funny like I know it's very easy to talk I guess talk smack proverbially on overspeed, just because it's like, oh, you're doing breaking forces this and that. And but I've never, I've never heard a coach really who was had used it who was like, oh, I I don't like it. Where, you know, the word I most people I've heard talk about overspeed like the effects they're getting from overspeed, and it seems to be an effective method. I I was gonna say too, Michael Michael Zweifel is like the like MacGyver man. He's like you know <clears throat> his inertial trainers and and you mentioned the figure eight thing. <laughs> the macgyver of uh, of training of uh you know expensive training equipment made made a little bit cheaper
0: right for sure and you know the thing with like overspeed too is forever like you know we always run with the wind so like I, like for me over the drawback to overspeed was like oh you know there's a chance like they're going to get injured but then we'd go outside and there'd be a 20 mile an hour wind yeah. and i'd be like yeah we're running with the wind today you know and i get excited so i'm like why am i like hung up on towing athletes you know Uh, like what's there's not that much difference it it just you know kind of was something that i found silly that went through my brain i guess
1: yeah no i i I think a lot of people would actually have that same that same thing it's usually like an ideal right but i i I think too like the idea of especially like the type one athletes just that the dopamine charge uh you know fulfillment they're going to get by getting on a cord and running as fast as they possibly can I mean, you know, if you took a type three, a distance runner type person, you know, on the overspeed, that might not work out very well for them at a lot of levels. Um, but but uh, but just like neurochemically too, like just what they're getting out of something like that, I, I think it has a lot of power to it. And uh, that's good to hear your anecdotes in that regard. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, you do any? Um, oh, yeah, you mentioned the extra genie. Yeah, I bought an extra genie myself actually not too long ago. I like it. It took me a, a day to figure out the ropes a little bit, but and not touch it after I was done. That was uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> that's the same with the
0: figure eight descender. Like, uh, it, gets, it gets it gets up there with the temperature.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Cool. Uh, so Rob, uh, talking about some of the things you've learned, what are the biggest? Um, what are the, some of the biggest things you've learned in the last year? that uh, specifically that I've had an influence things you're doing with your program? Uh,
0: the neurotyping is definitely one, uh, cause I think it's just so cool. Sometimes we put like the personal characteristics of a person in one silo and then like the athletic characteristics in another, and it's probably all tied together, you know? Um, so I, I think that's uh, one thing for me that, that has been really cool just to see like how a person acts and then like what type of workout they respond to. And, um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to, I'm gonna probably, I, I think I mentioned this to you before, I'm gonna get the that program uh, that Kristen Thibodeau has out and and work my way through that. Uh, so just to, I think that's a, a part, an area for me where I need to, to investigate more. Uh, just, you know, kind of coaching the person. Um, w- along with what they're able to do athletically. So that's, that's been a big thing for me. Uh, Another one would be just like a constraints sort of led approach uh, to coaching jumps, uh, just altering the the task, the environment, and the organism. Uh, It's something that I'm, I I just really enjoy, like that whole concept uh, has just got the wheels turned into my head quite a bit about how we can uh, adapt the situation or or make a situation so uh, the athletes are able to get, uh, to where we want them to get to uh, ultimately and perform uh, in an optimal manner Uh, so i've done like a lot of kind of crazy things uh, within the jumps uh, where i'm throwing a lot at them with the idea that if uh, they're able to handle that in in the practice uh, setting you know the actual competition will seem easy
1: you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster Sir, you know what, I haven't actually heard too much about the constraints approach, so could you kind of go a little bit more in detail on where you got that from, what it is, and you mentioned, you had just mentioned a little bit about it there, but maybe give a little bit more, uh, a little more detailed example.
0: Sure, so I think I saw uh, Sean Mishka speak at uh, TFC, I think it was uh, TFC 5, it was last summer, and he talked quite a bit about it, and you know, that was more in the context of like the football uh, scenario. Um, but then I just started to think about it like in terms of track. So, um, like with uh, the jumps, uh, like yesterday, uh, we actually did a drill and it was kind of crazy. And it was, I call it steering and target practice. So, I had five cones set up. I think it was at like 50 or 40 feet. So, 40, 45, 50, 55, and 60 feet away from the board. And I uh, had the guys just start randomly uh, from one of those cones. And whatever foot was forward when they started, they had to figure out how to get a jump in off that. Um, and then in the middle of that, uh, I had a hurdle set up. And then I think I've heard this from you where, uh, in the pit, there were three cones, uh, different colors. So when they were, uh, like halfway into their approach, another athlete would yell out a color and they had to jump to that cone, um, while still trying to get a, get a legal mark in, um, so again it just i think gets them they're thinking like a whole lot like trying to process a lot of information so then when they actually go through and just have to go through their approach that they're comfortable with and just get a legal mark i think that makes it uh, just a a little bit easier for them so it's just you know throwing different things at them to to get them more comfortable and um, just make it easy uh, when the competition rolls around
1: yeah that is awesome i i you know it's funny you mentioned like there's some things you got for me i was like i never took it that far but that's how you what you've done is is amazing like i'm like super excited hearing about that i i might have said something about an agility thing with a color or i saw a brett bartholomew video where they're doing agility hops to a cone or a color I, i but i'm <laughs> i i know i i've also talked about that ruzon study uh where it was like if you jumped a different distance every time your pr ended up being better than if you mm-hmm. just went all out every time, um, mm-hmm. but what you're doing there, man, that's awesome. Um, so like, it takes me back. It makes me think about well, why is basketball so good for an athlete? Why is football so good for an athlete? Well, outside of those things being, it's a team sport. You have the you know the spirit of of I mean track's a team sport, but it's not the same. You know like as football or basketball in many in many systems. But, like you have decision making, you have multi directional work, you have a little bit more multiplanar work, but I've always felt like a lot of it is the the mental the decision making aspect of that, like you do high jump, typically you do high jump or long jump, and a lot of times it's okay, here's your mark, you're gonna go as far as you can every jump like and I find that 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 tends to like burn it's almost like it burns a burns a groove in the neural pathway to the point that that groove gets burned out quick. And you really only have, I don't know, four to six jumps like that before you're kind of hit a wall. And though I've, I've noticed, I, I was, I've, have tinkered with sort of similar things in the past, not to what you're doing, which I think is really cool. I'm really inspired to, to start thinking about more ways to do that myself. But um, it seems like you could get a lot more jumps in, too, without an athlete getting bored, hitting a neural wall needing to kind of push the reset button and do something else like i saw like you know high jump you hit a neural wall you go i don't know go run the go run a 200 hurdles fast and then come back or something and then <laughs> and then maybe you can you know have a your, your system got reset a little bit now you can do a bit more but um that is an awesome way of thinking about it. i'm sure any event too like it, it's it's um yeah i i don't know enough i've read franz bosch's book but i would be um i would be really happy if i could remember like oh this page it says this or you know about (laughs) about those constraints i am thinking about that one chart it had like all the little bubbles and like the different the different skills like where they where they met together where they were different but it almost it's to me i think of like building a more robust athlete like building an athlete with a stronger nervous system more abilities um and it's probably more fun and you you wouldn't get burnt out and so quickly
0: yeah and i think that's like it's uh often overlook or kind of I think people think with like team or field court sports like like I want them to compete in track because they're they're athletes right and they're always like it seems like the the people that uh, come out and jump that are involved in those sports they just have that ability to interpret space really well so they very rarely like have issues with uh, like getting a legal mark in in the horizontal jumps like they're pretty consistent with their approach because they're really good at interpreting space so then I have kids that just do track and they're they struggle a little bit more at times. And I think it's just because they don't interpret space as well because they haven't been exposed to that kind of chaotic environment that the field and court sports have. So if there's things that I can do uh, within a track practice to enhance their athleticism and their ability to interpret space, then I think that's a win for not only those multi-sport kids, uh, but also just the, the track kids.
1: Yeah. I think that I'm sure you would agree with this, that the hardest high jumpers to get their approach dialed in in many cases is usually the ones who didn't play basketball or you know, football or, or, you know, they just came out and did high jump. They really maybe they didn't really do a jumping sport and they never had to do a layup where you just your brain has to figure out how to put your foot down. Like, it's not like you ever watch a basketball game and some guys like going on a fast break and just doesn't jump because their feet weren't in the right place. You know, they they figured it out, damn it. Like you know, the the body's pretty smart and so. It's, it's really cool to hear about that. I was just thinking, I was like, it's too bad javelin. And you threw javelin. It's too bad it's not an event in high school. I mean, the idea of giving high schoolers spears like to walk <laughs> around with is kind of scary. Um, but like, it would be cool if an athlete was on a javelin runway. I used to do range throws all the time with my athletes and really liked it. But like, almost you could have like a mark at 180, one. Fifty, one thirty, and then they're like three feet from, three steps out from throwing, and you say, you know, this one, and they have to. <laughs> it's kind of like being a quarterback almost, you know, and and just the some of the robustness that that adds to the system, and 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 not just relying on um what do you call internal cues all the time. I think there's so. Do, is there a way you do that for high jump? Uh, you create that. Uh,
0: I haven't done it with uh with that, that idea of like jumping a different height. Um, I, I don't know how I'd have to think about how to do that. But uh, we've done like the, the dis- sort of like a decision drill where it's like start from here, start from here, you know, and figure out how to get a jump in, right? Um, just, you know, random spots or have them go from the other side and jump off the other leg, you know, that kind of thing to in- introduce some chaos. But um, yeah, I have to think about um, maybe we could have like two guys holding the bar and then just. <laughs> As, as it's going as they get closer just raise or lower it and you know be like all right go for it you know adapt and just barely clear it you know
1: yeah 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 i was just thinking that that would be a possibility uh, maybe too like you could have uh they could have to scissor a regular jump it or um i, I don't know bound in the middle of the approach or others uh, I've, I've got you got my wheels turning so i, I <laughs> that's such cool stuff Um, uh, all right so last question for you rob um what do you think is something that's um really common in the track and field and sprint training or jumps training world that you see a lot like everyone's posting about it or that you think is really at the end of the day it isn't that useful it's kind of overblown
0: uh well i'd say in general just like with uh sprint training uh, probably the uh the agility ladder um you know uh, i think at least from the way i see it with uh high school athletes uh the way they view it and then maybe even uh kids that go on to college and come back you know you'll talk to them and they'll be like well i need to improve my speed like okay what are you doing and they're like you you watch them train and they're doing the agility ladder for 30 or 40 minutes you know it's like well how about you just sprint you know um so i think there's use there's it's it's a useful tool i mean you can get good lower leg contacts uh and you know it's good for the foot ankle complex but uh i think you know too many people view it as a way to improve speed when it's mainly just a tool to train, you know, the feet and the ankles. So uh, I think that I I see way too, way too much of that. Uh, And even like guys that come back from uh, uh, college, you know, you see them training during the summer and and they're on that thing for like hours. And it's like, you know, you you can be utilizing your time a little bit better. Um, And then I think another thing that is probably overblown is just, and kind of in the same vein, uh, is just drills. Uh, it, so, you know, different speed drills, whatever, uh, you know, I, we do them, uh, we think they're important, but if you're doing more than 15 or 20 minutes of it within in a warm up, I think it's kind of, you know, to, you're, you're better off using your time somewhere else. Uh, so, um, you know, you definitely want to keep in mind what's essential uh, with what you're trying to, to accomplish and, uh, make sure that you're, uh, the main por- portion of your training is focused on
1: that yeah yeah i i um with looking at what you said with the too much drills and um well nobody I, there's i you're the first person i've heard who does that constraints based thing i'm like man if people just did less drills and more of that constraints based work how much more how much better would our athletes be out the back you know out of all that so i think that's awesome stuff
0: yeah and the other thing with drills too is like uh I think I was kind of we're getting to uh, be on uh, the same path eventually. Like we've always changed our warm up like every year, and you think, oh yeah, this is the warm up like this is this is great. And then like the next year, you see something, you're like, oh yeah, we could we could do better with with this. And uh, I think it was uh, probably TFC four where uh, Chris Corfer spoke and he talked about just changing you know the different like having a progression of each drill within the warmup uh, to make it, uh, you know, just to challenge their coordination and make them more athletic. So I'm uh, making sure you're not doing the same warm-up from day one through day 180. You know, that's a, another thing uh, just to continually challenge athleticism.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love it, man. Uh, Rob, where, where can people find you uh, if they're looking for you on social media or, or websites or anything like that?
0: Uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty active. So that's at HF jumps. Uh, and then uh, via email, uh, it's uh, robert, R-O-B-E-R-T-A-C-C-A-S-S-I-S-E uh, uh, at gmail.com.
1: Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you for your time today. And then, oh, you're going to be also speaking, I believe, at uh, TFC 7, is it? I-, I lose track of the number, it. Mm-hmm. 7 uh, in Chicago area?
0: Yes. Uh, uh, Tony asked me to do uh, kind of like an on-the-field uh, sort of uh, – demo type deal so i have a few athletes out there kind of going through a workout and uh, should be pretty fun so i'm looking forward to that it's always a great event uh, and I've, I've, this will be my seventh I, I wouldn't miss it i'm so fortunate to have it in my basically in my backyard it's
1: mm-hmm. great yeah awesome well rob thank you so much for your time today it was a great talking to you and uh best of luck to you the rest of the season in snowy uh cold illinois Well,
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me on and i really appreciate what you do with this podcast it definitely makes my commute uh enjoyable
1: <laughs> well yeah hey anyway i can help i that has been good for you Well, that does it for another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Thanks for tuning in with us this week. We really appreciate your listenership, and uh, it's always fun putting these out here for you guys. I learned so much myself as the host, and I'm, I'm uh, just really grateful and blessed to all have the great guests that we have had so far. Please visit our sponsor at simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, free lap timing system, which we mentioned, uh, 1080 Sprint, Kbox, Gym Aware, and much more. Also, you may have heard Rob mention the, the neurotyping the neurotyping system that he is starting to use, and I personally believe is just an absolute game-changer for the field. Uh, I think it really is going to infiltrate its way into sports like track and field and swimming in the near future just because it's very powerful and really makes sense as to why different athletes respond to what. Uh, if you're interested in the system and you want to purchase it from Christian Thibodeau's website, uh, you can actually grab 15% off. Just use the promo code JustFlySports. No dashes, just the, just the text, and that's for the full system. So also, if you enjoyed the podcast, the show, please don't hesitate. Leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your listening platform of choice. We'll see you again next week with another great guest.